0: All right, got to stay standing. Listen to this word of the Lord. We're back in John. Can you believe it? We're done with Job. Uh, But I'm going to pray that you still are filled with the fear of the Lord, that awe-filled orientation toward God as we hear his word. All right? So this is John chapter 7, and I'm going to start with verse 37. I'm going to read 37, 38, and 39. That can be found on page uh, 893 of those Blue Pew Bibles that you have. And then I'm going to jump to chapter 8 and read 12 through 20, all right? It'll make sense to you. We'll talk about it. Don't worry. This is the word of the Lord. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were about to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then in verse 12 of chapter 8, And again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. A word of clarification before we look at this. The reason that we have skipped uh, this story about the woman caught in adultery is not because it's unlike Jesus to respond in the way that he responded to her. It's a great story. But it is not well attested in the most early manuscripts of the Scripture. And it breaks up The power of the story that I'm about to tell you. And so that's why we don't preach from that section in the beginning of chapter 8. Now, what we are about to hear is what Jesus intended us to hear as he proclaimed at this festival of booths that he is the light of the world. Let's go to him now, to the Father in the name of Christ, and ask him to work in us. Father in heaven, We come before you, and we praise you that you are God. Father, we confess that we need you to show up. We have tried our hardest in the last week um, to gin up in us the ability to be filled with joy. We have accomplished that to varying degrees, and yet it feels fleeting. And even the gifts that we got yesterday remind us that the very things that we think we want Don't bring that lasting sense of joy. Father, we're people and we are confused about joy and happiness. Father, we need you to come and to help us. We need you to anchor our hearts in a reality that you have assured us of. Father, you know who we are. We're women and men created in your image. We're girls and boys who are distracted we're those who struggle to believe that forgiveness is real. We're those who need to know more. And we ask you, would you open our eyes? Father, for some of us, we are hanging on by our fingertips. As we enter in, a, 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 as we finish, rather, a second year of this pandemic, we are ready for it to be over. And Father, even now, we know that we have brothers and sisters, families of this congregation who are in lockdown in their homes with COVID. And Father, we ask that you would remind them that you know and that you are with them. Father, we know people, friends of ours, who are in the hospital on respirators right now. And we ask that you would comfort their families, that you would remind them that you know Father, we come to you with eyes wide open to a broken yet beautiful world and we ask you, would you come and make sense of it? Would you move in our hearts? Would you set us free from the sin that so easily entangles us that that we believe this lie that you're not for us and you're not going to provide? Father, show us where we still struggle and would you please root it out? Father, you have said that you're going to come and make yourself known. For some of the women and men in this room, it will be the first time that you've ever done that. And Father, I pray that you would do it, especially for that sleepy Christian who thinks they have heard the news before, but would the penny drop today? Would it make sense for the first time? Father, for those who have believed a long, long time and yet seem and feel and experience that the joy meter is at its lowest, Would you please come and would you show us the joy of Christmas, the joy of the new reality that Jesus has brought and would we be different women and men because of it? Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you in advance that you will use it in our lives because you've promised that. Um, Thank you that this is up to you. Now, please give us the ability to listen. Give us the ability to hear what you, Jesus, are saying. And may your name be made great among us, and it's in Christ your name we pray, amen. Well, you guys, Merry Christmas. I want you to know I'm thrilled to be here preaching for you today. It's December the 26th. My family and I are about to take off for a week and have a break. But as Nathan and I returned to the book of John and I saw what I was getting to preach, I am thrilled to get to preach it to you. The story for us starts in verses 37 as Jesus on the last day of this feast of booths stands up and he says, if anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink. I'm gonna explain to that, and you, you, I am going to explain that to you in just a minute. But the meat of our sermon today is out of those few verses from chapter eight, verse 12 through 20, where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And I want you to begin to think about that with this central theme in mind. Are you ready? This is the theme. Here it is. Children, if you're taken Notes so that you can get a sucker afterwards. This is what you want to write down and I'll give you a sucker, all right? Jesus, the light of the world, illuminates the Father and simultaneously, ask your parents how to spell that, and simultaneously exposes the hearts of all humans. That's powerful, right? Listen to it one more time. Jesus, the light of the world, illuminates the Father and simultaneously exposes the hearts of all humans. There's just one command that comes out of this for you and me. One command out of these verses, let us joyfully follow Jesus, the light of the world. That's your command today. Joyfully follow Jesus, the light of the world. Now let me tell you where I'm getting this. I had you read in verses 37, 38, and 39 of chapter 7 that this is the last day of the feast. And the feast is the feast of booths. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 7, you'll see that Jesus has gathered at the Feast of the Booths. This is, for the Jewish people, the greatest feast of all the year. This is the feast that rolls in together all of the holidays that you want to celebrate. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, even the Fourth of July. They're rolled into this Feast of the Booths. In fact, one rabbi wrote of the era when Jesus lived, he said that if you have never experienced the water rites... Of the Feast of the Booth, you have never experienced joy. Isn't that wild? What happened on this day, you all, every day for seven days, is that they would go and they would draw water out of the well at Shalom, uh, 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 and they would take that water to the temple and pour it out over the altar. And they would enact the promise that God has said in Ezekiel 47 that living water would flow from the temple. And it would be for everyone in the healing of the nations. They would celebrate this. They would dance and they would sing, they would party and they would eat and they would drink for seven days straight. Children, guess what? You would see your parents and your grandparents dancing if you had been at this festival. It's that exciting. This was a great festival to behold. It came at the end of their harvest. They would take all the fruit off the trees and the grapes off the vine. If those of you who like vine, like wine, you know old Zinfandel wine. The old grapes that has the most alcohol in it, that was this season. That's what was happening. And it would commemorate God's provision of his people as he brought them out of Egypt and through the desert and sustained them by his provision for 40 years. It was a massive festival. It focused on that water rite where they took and they took water and poured it out over the altar, but it also focused on lights. That's why Jesus says on this last day, those of you who are thirsty, come to me. Jesus is saying, I'm the one that has the living water. It's the biggest part of this festival. And then... Did you know that in the court of the women in the temple where everyone was allowed to go were these massive pillars just like this and on the top of them were these huge bowls and these bowls were filled with oil and they were lit every night so that these massive torches lit up the temple so that the entire city that surrounded the bottom of the temple mount could look up and see this glorious light. And it's in light of... Of that, and I meant that poem by the way, it is in light of that reality that on the last day, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. No one who would have heard Jesus say this would have misunderstood. You and I oftentimes go, big deal, we turn on lights all the time, I, whatever. No, no, no. This was the last day and the great day, we're told. I told you that the festival and the dancing and the parting lasted seven days, but did you know that there was an eighth day to that? The last day of the festival was the eighth day, and it was a solemn assembly before the Lord. And they would come in, and they would pray for rain. For those of you who are, you know, old-time Christian music, you know, uh, uh, affectionados, you know that there was this band called PFR, Pray for Rain. That's where it comes from, right here. They would pray for rain for the season that was up and coming. They would do it on the eighth day. And you remember, Nathan has talked to us about the eighth day. The reason that the Octet Collaborative is called the Octet Collaborative is because the eighth day in the Old Testament is a special day. Remember the priests that would be consecrated to serve in the temple? For a whole week, for seven days, they would be consecrated. Guess when they got to start their service before the Lord? On the eighth day. When a child, a male child, was born and was to be circumcised, guess what day they got to be circumcised? I bet you figured it out, the pattern already, didn't you? On the eighth day. This is a big deal. This eighth day is the day that goes beyond one week. It signifies the first day of new creation, the first day of a new relationship. In fact, when was Jesus raised from the dead? It wasn't on the Sabbath, the seventh day. It was the day after, the eighth day, the first day of forever to come. And on this eighth day of the festival, when they would pray for rain for the future year of God's provision, when they would celebrate all that God has done, Jesus stood up and he said, I am the light of the world. And guess what? It's impossible not to hear God in the Old Testament in Genesis 1 saying, let there be light on the very first day of creation. And here's Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I've said that the focus of this is that Jesus, the light of the world, illuminates the Father and simultaneously exposes the hearts of all humans. I've told you that the command for you and me is that we should joyfully follow Jesus, the light of the world, And for us to do that, we need to know four realities that Jesus points out the Pharisees do not know. And they're right here in these verses. We're gonna go through them quickly so that you can see them, all right? And they come in pairs, so pay attention. Jesus, the light of the world, illuminates the Father and simultaneously exposes our hearts. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself and your testimony is not true. Isn't that interesting? Somebody says, I am the light of the world. What do you have to do right away? You and I have to make a decision. Is he the light of the world or is he not a light, the light of the world? I used to camp a lot, and one place where we loved camping when I was a kid was on a boulder in the middle of this creek. It was this huge stone boulder, and we would sleep on it, you know, and the water was flowing past us all night long. When Jesus proclaims, I'm the light of the world, it's as if he has thrown a boulder into the creek, and the water either goes on one side or the other, forcing a decision, right? Can't, can't go anywhere else, one side or the other. And you have to ask yourselves, What is true? The Pharisees said, You aren't telling the truth. Jesus went on to say this. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. The first two realities that we need to be aware of if we're joyfully going to follow Jesus is where is Jesus from and where was he going? Hey, this is easy for you now. Pay attention because the answer's the same for both of those questions. Isn't that great? This one's easy. Where's Jesus from? It's from the Father. Where is he going? He's going back to the Father. How should these Pharisees have known that? Well, listen, if there's anything that the Pharisee knows, he knows the Bible. And this is what he should have heard as Jesus proclaimed in the very first sermon he ever gave of his own ministry. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me, boom, right there, Isaiah 61. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor Jesus has come from the Lord. And where is he going? Again, you would say that if Jesus said you ought to know these things to Pharisees, then it's through the scriptures that they ought to know them. And Jesus says you ought to know where I'm going. Psalm 110 says this The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Where is Jesus going? From Psalms and Daniel 6, we know that Jesus is going back to the Father. Jesus has come from the Father, and he's going back to the Father. Do you remember that verse that we say a lot from Isaiah 40, that the word of God goes out from him and it never returns to him void, but always accomplishes the purposes for which he sent it? That is spoken of God's spoken word. How much more so is it true of the word made flesh? who has been sent by God for a purpose. He has come from the Father and he is returning to the Father. We need to remember this if we're gonna joyfully follow Jesus. Jesus is not dead on a crucifix. Now listen, I'm I'm fine if you have a crucifix at your house and you have Jesus hanging on it. I, I understand that that reminds you of the cross. You need to be clear that Jesus is not hanging on a cross somewhere. His body is not dead in a grave. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father right now. And that's why we can pray, according to Hebrews 4, that Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, is the one that we go to to receive the grace and the mercy to help us in our time of need. That's where Jesus is. And for us to joyfully follow him, we need to remember that. The problem is is that these Pharisees have judged Jesus according to the flesh. Look at verse 15. You judge according to the flesh. Jesus says, I judge no one. You're like, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the judge. Haven't I read that somewhere? That like in Romans 8, Paul says, isn't it great that the one who judges is also the one who justifies us? Being Jesus. And and even in Matthew 5, Jesus has already said that all of the judgment the Father has given to him, the Son. What is he saying? saying. Jesus has said, look, you judge according to the flesh. And he doesn't just mean flesh and blood like you and me. In John, flesh means that which is opposed to God. Flesh is the brokenness of this world. Flesh is the part of us that disbelieves God. Flesh is that which believes the lie of Satan that we've talked about over and over that God is not for you, that he will not provide for you, and that he does not love you. Jesus says, I don't judge anyone that way. Not from darkness and enmity with God not from a place of believing a lie. Now look, you may be here tonight and you may say, I don't believe that Jesus is the lie of the world. I want you to know that when you say that, you are disbelieving that God loves you. You're saying it's not true. But Christians, we also tend to reject Christ. When we choose to live according to another reality instead of joyfully following Jesus, We are tempting ourselves to believe another lie. To be filled with joy is a choice, especially when we're commanded to rejoice. Think about this for a minute. If you're like me, you can confess of struggling to be joyful. But Christians, we really need to think about this. Because here, in this joy filled ceremony, Jesus stands up and he says, I'm the light of the world. And he's saying, Don't judge. By enmity with God. Rather judge by what I reveal about the Father. Those are the first two questions. Where God, where Jesus came from, where he's going. Verses 15 through 20 give us the next two. Who Jesus is and who the Father is, right? What does he say in verse 16? He says, look, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people, you get it? Jesus and the Father. You get that? that? The testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Then they said to him, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. The last two things that we need to know is who Jesus is and who the Father is. Jesus has just proclaimed that he's the light of the world. You guys, we have spent this entire Advent season with candles in front of us that we might remember that Jesus is the light of the world. Those who heard Jesus said that should have remembered because they too knew the Old Testament better than we do. But our Advent lessons lead us to this, don't they? They lead us to what we proclaim all the time about Jesus. This one is out of Isaiah 9. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Right? We have this in our liturgy, that Jesus is the light of the world and that he is shown into our darkness. Look, if you haven't had your Christmas movie yet, I'm about to give it to you. Already? This is your Christmas movie. You can go try to find Sing Two children, but we couldn't find it last night even though it says it's gonna be let out on Christmas. We couldn't find it. But this is your Christmas movie, The Rescue by Jimmy Chin. It's the, it's the story of how these kids in Thailand, these soccer players who were in a cave got rescued out of this cave after they had been in darkness for more than two weeks. Now, think about this. These kids are in a cave that is completely black for more than two weeks, and all of a sudden, I won't ruin the movie for you, don't worry, it doesn't even begin to ruin it. All of a sudden, this man in scuba gear comes up out of the water with a light and shines it on the kids. Think about what that must have been like for those 13 and 14-year-olds who experienced that in Thailand. I want you to know that the darkness that Jesus entered into, the darkness of our own hearts, and lives is so much darker than that cave was. And Jesus has come into it as the light of the world. If you want to read about that darkness, Isaiah 59 is a great place to go. But that verse in Isaiah 9 goes on to say, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. You recognize it now, don't you? It's not just that. But it's that Jesus is the light of the world who judges and exposes. But he doesn't do it according to the flesh. Look, you and I are tempted to judge according to the flesh. Meaning this, meaning this. That we're tempted to judge saying God can't be for me. Therefore, what I feel has to guide me. That's how I'm going to make my decisions. If I don't feel good, I'm not doing good. If I don't feel it, I'm not doing it. Because Jesus can't really understand all that I'm struggling with. We have Advent story that talks about that too. And it comes out of Isaiah 11. Listen to what it says. It says that the one who comes forth from the shoot and the stump of Jesse, that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Who did that in the Bible? Who decided who God was by what their eyes saw and their ears heard? Do you know? You do. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve judged God that way. They said, you're not really for us because that tree looks really good and I want that. And so they judged by what their eyes saw and what their ears heard when Satan said, you know, God isn't telling you the truth. But Jesus doesn't judge that way. Rather, it says in Isaiah 11, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Jesus is one who judges with righteousness and equity. Do you long for that? Do you long for that for the broken world in which we live? You guys, if you don't long for Jesus to judge with righteousness and equity, you have not rightly seen the brokenness that's around us and in us. Come, Lord Jesus, come and judge that way. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the light of the world that judges with righteousness and equity. All right, well, then who is the Father? Well, Jesus has defined the Father for us twice. I'm not going to reread the verses for you. How did he qualify the Father every time? The Father who sent me, right? So the first thing we understand is that the Father is the one who sent Jesus. But when Jesus proclaims that he's the light of the world, it's in the context of the Festival of Booths. What did the Festival of Booths celebrate? God's provision. He's also the Father who provides for us. Did you know that the one command during the Festival of Booths was this? You must rejoice. Isn't that amazing? There's a seven-day party. Every day is filled with eating and drinking, dancing and singing. And the only command that God gives is don't party too hard. No, that's not what he says. He says rejoice. And what I want you to remember, you guys, is that God is a God who loves to rejoice himself. He is a father who teaches us to rejoice because he is a father who rejoices. Listen to how the prophet Zephaniah writes this. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. Wow, the feast of booths. Jesus is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. The joy of Christmas. He is a mighty one who is, who, He is a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He is quieted by his love. You know what that means? That means that God's not looking for anybody else to love. He loves you. Do you deserve to be loved by God? I do not. But do you know God's love is not like your love? It's not adulterous. It's not idolatrous. He doesn't look for multiple things to set his affection on. He loves you. It's never going to stop. He exalts over you with loud singing. God is a father who rejoices to be good to you, to save you. Did you know that at this feast, they would end by singing these psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118? You know how we sing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow? In Hebrew, that's halal. That's to praise, right? And so these psalms are the halal psalms. And guess what, the one, guess what it says in Psalm 118, 27? God has made his light to shine upon us. Jesus said, look, the problem with you Pharisees is that you think that the law of God precedes his love. But what you do not understand is that the love of God precedes his law. It's a big deal that we know who Jesus is and who the Father is. Look, those are the four things we're supposed to know. Where did Jesus come from? Where is he going? Who is Jesus? Who's the Father? So what's the result of living in light of those four realities? It's joyfully following Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus says it in the very beginning, those who ever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But will have the light of life. Joyfully following Jesus. You know, again, you can turn to the Old Testament and see exactly where Jesus was coming from. Children, I almost want to ask you, what is Psalm 23 about? The Lord is my shepherd. Right? I shall not want. Listen to verse 4. Maybe you haven't heard it like this before. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. How alone do you feel tonight? Are you tempted to say, no one knows my struggle? Jesus, the light of the world, is with you. Jesus said, Follow me, and you'll no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in this last one from Psalm 139 that I want to read to you, this last one says this, and, and you know it as well Psalm 139, 11, and 12. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness, is not dark to you the night is as bright as day and darkness as as is as light to you let me ask you a question children you're going to go out tonight and you're going to look up and you're going to see the moon does the moon give off light think about it for a minute no the moon does not give off light what does the moon do the moon reflects the light of the sun Jesus said that if you will follow him, and I have said that joyfully following Jesus allows us to no longer walk in the darkness, but to have the light of life, to give off the radiance of life. You guys, the call for us as Christians is to reflect light. But here's the thing. We as Christians want to tell everybody that we have the light and this is how you ought to live. Very rarely do we reflect the life of Christ. Because Jesus is the light of the world, came to reveal the Father. And the Father isn't one that says, you're doing this the wrong way. The Father is the one who says, I love you and forgive you. Come to me and I'll change your heart. So what would it look like to choose to live with joy? I want you to know this. To choose to live with joy, it would mean that there's a foundation under you. And and catch this. Two years into a pandemic, there is a foundation even under your sadness. Look, some of you have deep and sincere sadness. And I'm not telling you when I talk to you about joyfully following Jesus to just act like sadness never happens. In fact, that's a misunderstanding of joy. To be filled with joy is to be filled with a reality that cannot change no matter what happiness ebbs or flows in your life. Joy is the foundation. This Catholic priest who I really like, Henry Nowen, said it this way. Are you ready? Joyful persons do not necessarily make jokes, laugh, or even smile. They are not people with an optimistic outlook on life who always relativize the seriousness of a moment or an event. No. Joyful persons see with open eyes the hard reality of human existence, and at the same time are not imprisoned by it. They have no illusion about the evil powers that roam around looking for someone to devour, but they also know that death is not the final power. Do you know that in your life? They suffer with those who suffer, yet they do not hold on to suffering. They point beyond it to an everlasting peace. The call of this passage Is for us to joyfully follow Jesus, the light of the world. Do you not believe in Jesus yet? Do you hear him say, I'm the light of the world, and you go, I don't see it? That's who Jesus says he is. And in so doing, he illuminates your heart that you don't yet believe. You see how that works? Jesus illuminates the Father, but also exposes your heart and mind. Do you want to believe that Jesus is the light of the world? Your invitation is not to come and eat and think that you deserve it, but to ask Him to give it to you. And God, who delights in giving Himself freely, can work. What about those of you who are Christians, who hear this call to joyfully follow Jesus? I want to challenge you with something. When the command is to rejoice, you have a choice. Either I will rejoice or I won't rejoice. Either I will follow Jesus joyfully or I won't. Christians, I want to challenge you tonight to choose to live in the light. Jesus is the light of the world. To live in the joy of a child who has come, a Savior who has saved, and a King who reigns in the midst of chaos. I'm going to say that one more time. A king who reigns in the midst of chaos. Who is in the process of making all things new. Listen, if you say, look, I want to believe this. Would you pray for me? I want to encourage you and say, yeah, absolutely, I'll pray for you. But you want to know something one better? I'll up you one. The Holy Spirit prays for you with groans that are too deep for words that you would know what it means to joyfully follow Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. He illuminates the Father for us. The one who sent Jesus, the provider, and the one who rejoices over you and me. But he also exposes our hearts. I want to challenge you. Joyfully follow Jesus, the light of the world. Let's pray.